Okay, everybody. So it's been a year since I've started a podcast and one of my biggest mentors, Dr. Byron Braid, who is a trained psychiatrist here in the United States, who's been doing biological medicine for well over 45 years. He does tend to be a little more off the grid as, as I would say, or what he calls, um, what was the terminology he used looking for his privacy. He enjoys his solitude. Um, but we had asked him to do this um, and it's taken us quite a few months to get it on the books in all honesty. And this is a very special hour. So I really wanna make sure that you have the time to listen to the whole thing. Make sure you get a pen and paper. This is definitely one you're gonna to wanna to probably listen to a couple times. This takes you through a thought process of why it's difficult for people to change. He speaks eloquently and deep all at the same time. And you can see why Byron Braid is one of our greatest mentors in not only biological medicine, but in the emotional world. Um, and from that bioenergetic approach because of Wilhelm Reich. And that's what we're really gonna be discussing today in depth is Wilhelm Reich and personal freedoms and freedom of choice and why modern civilization and society is talking about these and then you will hear our retort about if we're accomplishing it or not um, because i'm not afraid to argue even with my greatest mentor one of my greatest mentors so i know you're all going to enjoy dr byron braid today and i wish for all your comments and to keep on coming i absolutely love them and please make sure that you comment anything that you would like him to know as well because i always love giving him such good feedback as we always get from our uh, listenership. And we appreciate all your time and attention and understanding how the body really works and why change um, can be difficult at times, but now more than ever is when we need to really delve into what can help us all change and what can help our society and our personal freedoms to be assured. So welcome to this beat, truly from my heart to yours, the Beats with Kelly Kennedy, with Dr. Byron Bates. Back to the beats with Kelly Kennedy, and I am very thrilled, honored, excited beyond. Um, I know I always say I'm excited, but this one's a little bit more. So one of my largest mentors, my incredible colleague, my incredible friend, Dr. Byron Braid, who likes to enjoy his solitude, has finally agreed to do a podcast with us to answer the question that I've been, I know that only one person has a twist on this that I really want our audience to hear. And um, I'm going to ask that question in front of them. But, but Dr. Byron Braid has been a medical doctor, I don't know, 45 years longer at this point, I don't know, a long time. <laughs> he's been a psychiatrist and he studied biological medicine and been a, a pioneer of that medicine here in the United States, as well as all throughout Europe for, I don't know, three decades or more. I mean, forever, it seems like. And he would hate this term, but I'm going to use it anyway. He's one of the grandfathers of biological medicine and without him... <laughs> told you he'd laugh. Without him, um, in all honesty, Ayn and I would not know what we know about this medicine. We would have not have had the ability to train like we were able to under him. And many of the doctors that worked with us here at True Wellness were had the opportunity as well as so many of our clients. So I know that this podcast from our heart to yours is going to hit so many in the heart because they have missed you so many of our clients so many people in the united states and so welcome dr braid i'm going to try to keep it at dr braid but i can guarantee i'm going to call him byron at some point um so welcome dr byron braid to the beats thank you kelly and please call me byron you always do i know it'd be weird to call you dr braid actually a little bit so but he totally deserves that so here's the bottom line we talk about on this podcast about how the body really works, right? We, we talk about the autonomic nervous system. We try to get people to understand that. One of the things that has come to my clarity in the last 15 months is how difficult it is for people to make a change. At the same time, how quickly changes happen that they get stuck into and now it's difficult for them to change out of it. And so... I figured there was nobody better to approach this subject than you, my psychiatrist mentor, and many things that we could talk about as he shakes his head for those that are listening. So why is it so difficult 
for people to change? And is there anything I missed? I mean, your, your CMV is ridiculous. Is there anything else you want to say about your CMV and what you've done and who you are? No. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Can you answer, riddle me that, Batman? Can you tell me what, why the hell it is for hard for people to change? Well, it's a very complicated, a very complicated perspective. Look, from my perspective, I see very little change going on. I see the appearance of change. I don't see very much change for the better. I see a deteriorating uh, situation in, so to say, modern culture. And while there is more or less ravenous feeding on information, I don't think <clears throat> there's a lot of critical thinking going on out there. And uh, while on the surface, there's lots of conversation about uh, personal freedom and freedom of choice and things like this, people are following instructions slavishly without much thinking about it. And I don't think that that's anything new. I think that's modern civilization. I think modern civilization, meaning the last couple thousand years, <laughs> right? Not 50 years, but 2,000 years of culture, no, society. I, I don't really, I don't really think there's revolutionary differences in how people process direction or function within governments. You know, um, I don't know, did you ever read Jared Diamond's Guns, Germs, and Steel. Do you know this book? Uh, I know the book. I started reading it amongst the piles. Yes, but it's in my hands. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate that book. I appreciate Jared Diamond. <laughs> I, I think I'm positive you were the one that told me to read it. I, it could be. But, you know, <laughs> somewhere in the beginning, he talks about uh, that he no longer differentiates democracies, communism, uh, autocracies, democracy, so forth. He calls them all kleptocracies. Kleptocracies? They, kleptocracies, right. They take money from the masses to feed the rulers. It doesn't matter what the rest of the structure is. So, you know, the modern world is going through that. And they're doing it through a lot of different ways, either doing it financially, either doing it with regulations. And people are just inhaling the direction. And, uh, you know, what's going on now with the, the so-called pandemic is, is no different. And you can see how uh, I, I will refer over and over again, as you know me through the years, to Wilhelm Reich's writings on this material. I mean, he, he started writing about these problems in, in the early 1930s. And, uh, you know, he wrote a book called The Mass Psychology of Fascism, which the, in which the, the first edition written around 1933 is and the last edition was written right after World War II. This book is completely relevant to the here and now. And we're falling apart. Who <laughs> is obeying? It's 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 more obedience training than anything else. And people 
Yeah. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, maybe for those who don't know, explain a little bit who Wilhelm Reich is, which you say much more German than I do, being so German now. <laughs> if I were real, if I were really German, I'd say Wilhelm Reich. He, he's actually from Philadelphia originally, but he's lived in <laughs> for many years. And sometimes he forgets his English words now. It's true. But it's true. so true. But Wilhelm, <laughs> Wilhelm Reich, Dr. Reich, who was he? Just so people who don't know can maybe research him a little bit. I mean, we'll put that in the show notes as well, but I think it's important, especially from your perspective of what your access to Wilhelm Reich's work has been. And Wilhelm Reich was initially a psychoanalyst who moved into a biological understanding of emotions, character, and vegetative structure in the 1920s and promptly found himself divorced from psychoanalysis, <laughs> <laughs> continued on his biological work and ended up understanding the energetic basis of life from a Western biological perspective. He was reviled by the establishment and sadly jailed at the end of his life. He was the first person in American history to have his books burned officially by the federal government because they considered his writing to be so radical and is the, the source of tremendous social and biological observation. And this is the same gentleman that was writing books in the 1920s that are relevant to what's going on a hundred years later, they burned his books in the 1950s, if I remember properly, yes. and jailed him in the 1950s because it was so relevant. And here we are all these years later. Totally relevant. Yep. So uh, Reich discovered energetic pulsation, the source of energy, which he called orgone energy, and he was criticized, mischaracterized, vilified, but was a huge influence. And I think that energetic healing in, in the modern world owes a lot of debt to Reich's findings and, and his writings. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. There's, you know, so much now about radionics. As you know, we had this conversation the other day and, and so much about the quantum field and the quantum energetics. And this all seems like a new category of science. And I'm like, but this is what I've been looking at in the microscope for, you know, almost two decades that Wilhelm Reich and um, Professor Enderling and this is what Byron taught me. And this is, I get a feel for, I mean, one of the first things I remember you ever teaching me about looking at blood is don't get lost in the details as I often did. And to get a feel for the blood as well of what it, it felt energetically to me. And that's something I've taught clients to do as well. And it, it's been such an eye opener for people to write down two to three words of what your body feels. And, and yet that all comes from a whole different science of what Wilhelm Reich really discovered in the 1920s that 1920s 1920s. Yeah. 1920s yeah it's incredible to look back at the, at the wealth of data that he produced so huge respect yeah huge respect so <clears throat> one of the books he that you had recommended we read and uh keeps coming up for me in this last year and a half is listen little man <laughs> so listen little man was essentially him getting rid of his frustration and anger he says so at the beginning yeah and he in in this book he realizes well he realized it before but he speaks a lot about what he considers to be the biological miscalculation 
of man, and he just and he talks a lot about how his realization that man was exhibiting an incapacity for freedom, that they look for leaders, they look to be led. And uh, I think we're seeing this in, in our world in an expanded way. I think the, the main role uh, that the media is serving, I don't mean from their attitudes, but the fact that we're able to communicate this way, it spreads information very, very quickly. And this is being used to scrape away the vestiges of freedom right now. Anybody who says anything that reflects negatively on the popular attitude facing excommunication yeah. scrambling to find platforms that people can stay listening to the truth to the uncensored i should say whether it's truth or not it's uncensored because it's the same over here yeah it's the same it's the same in europe switzerland maybe a little bit less so but uh in other parts of europe it's it's a very strong thing very very strong mean and, and say your mind. And there's something what, what Reich had discovered and what you're speaking about is the fact that there's something in the human ego and the human condition that disallows us to really, without consciousness, without consciousness, correct? To not really want this freedom to look for others to lead us rather than be our own leader. I would say it's chronic emotional suppression. Unpack that, please, Byron. What does that mean? Chronic emotional suppression. Socialization of children forces them to suppress expressing what they feel. So they learn to stuff their reactions inside. So this starts at children. I mean, I know that we've had these conversations, but this is what I want everybody to understand. Like, he's looking at me like, this is Kelly, this is a no. No, no, no. I, I'm not looking at you that way. <laughs> I know what you're asking me. So it's, it, it starts at the socialization of children of not letting them emote, which is one of the oh. things that we talk about all the time from our heart to yours. That's what this is about, is getting people to open their hearts and feel their own vibe and know, check in with themselves. I mean, if you if you look at, at modern society, uh, the process of in in ordinary uh, ordinary modern culture, raising a child is accompanied by separating the child from their inner feelings. I mean, think about school systems and what children have to do in order to conform to the demands of a modern, uh, a modern education. Right. I mean, children have to learn at a very early age to obey rules, even though their main interest is playing or saying what they think, saying what they feel or standing versus sitting or wiggling versus sitting still or wearing a t-shirt that says whatever that they want versus wearing a, a mask that's actually not a mask over their face to prevent them from breathing fresh air, but a mask like Silas, for instance, loves to dress up. And I mean, the kid is a different character every day. There are times that I know he would love to wear a Spider-Man mask or something to school. Yeah. But now they can't, they can't allow any of that, even on Halloween. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, it's hard to believe, but it's clear. I mean, we, lack of expression, lack of, of expression. Yeah. Yeah. And when there was a day where they could all dress up, he was the only one that dressed up like two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. We were like, what? Wait when we took our child out of the school system, the local school system here, which is really not bad, but it's a system. And so the, the Schulleiter, the, the principal, asked us, uh, well, what was the problem? Was there a teacher problem? We said, 
no, there's no problem with the teacher. It's the system. And he said, what do you mean? And, and he, we told him, look, you know, she's not, she's not enjoying herself. The, the teachers do a very good job in the classroom. They don't pay a single bit of attention to the behavior of children during the breaks. And during the breaks, the kids, there are kids that let out all their secondary drives, all their anger, all their dominance, all their fighting, all their name calling, all this stuff that goes on outside of the classroom, but in the confines of school that are damaging. And we won't have it. It's not what we want. We, we don't want cliques. We don't want for her to come home unhappy. We want her to have a good time in school. So it took us a long time to find an educational system that fit. And so she travels one hour each way on the train. And she's been doing that now for uh, a year and a half. And before that was at another school that didn't work out for other reasons. But at this school, she's completely happy. And even after a month and a half or two months, we asked her, so how do you like the school and what do you think? And her reaction, her, her answer to it was, we just laughed for, for an hour. She said, well, you know, I have to take the train by myself every day back and forth. And so far, what I notice is that I'm much more self-reliant. <laughs> and she's how old? 12? Well, then she was not 11. yet 11. 11, she right. 10. She was 10. So now she comes home and she says, oh, you know, I have a whole group of friends on the train. There's a lady who works in St. Gallen. She, we take the same train every day. So we sit next to each other and talk. And then there's another... There's a guy who sits opposite us, and then there's kids that go to school. <laughs> so She's never been the shy one. I remember when she was two in restaurants, walking up to other people's tables and asking them questions, even if it's not in her, in her language. She's a, she's quite the being. Alina yeah. is. She's still that way. She, I'm sure she is. So yeah. this boils down to when we allow our when we raise our children differently, there might be a potential with the consciousness to maybe change this uh, miscalculation, biological miscalculation. Is that? I don't think it's going to come from trying to drill this into adults. And I include me and you in that. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. anchored in, we have lots of anchored values. And you know, the goal is to, to raise conscious, feeling children. Yeah. So that's, that's the main thing. Don't separate them from themselves. Let them have their feelings. Separate themselves from their heart, from their from instinct, from correct. their knowing. Yeah. And, and now, you know. And that's so challenging. I mean, psychiatrist Byron, let's just talk about that from control freak mom over here. I mean, I, this weekend, for instance, I was ready to pull my hair out about the screens. It's pouring rain out. It's been raining for days. I get it. I have a play date with a couple of his friends. I say no screens within two hours. I find them putting a screen on. I was like, Ugh. and I get it at some level, right? Like let them do their thing. They grew up with it, but boy, is it difficult. I have to tell you, Alina has almost no interaction with screens. Oh, he's making me she feel worse. Fairy <laughs> tales. That's it. She listens to uh, audible stories. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, she likes listening to stories, and she reads. I mean, she's a reader. She reads three or four books a week, and. Um, has a very strong, good relationship with, with the township librarian. <laughs> <laughs> she, she goes to the library twice a week and the librarian already has like a pile picked out for her before she comes. Look through there. I think there's stuff there I think you'll like. 
Well, and that comes from the top. That I mean, I don't know anybody who has a better book collection than you. In all honesty, I mean, I've, I've commented that I want dibs on his book collection for a long time because he also because he has a lot of Wilhelm Reich's books. That's one of the things. Like just to full circle this, like you know, there are books of Wilhelm's Reich that I still have yet to get through because it's such a difficult read. <laughs> Cancer biopathy. Oh, that's. You you know what you have to read right chronologically because it's all connected. It yeah, it yeah. really it's it's so connected the thread that takes you from the first to the end is yeah. continuous. He never, you know, it's an interesting thing. I don't know whether it matters to anybody that we're talking about this, but he never threw any of his research material away. He saved everything. He said, "There's no such thing." as a mistake. The only thing there is, is not understanding what you found. And right? That's brilliant. I mean, right there, that is brilliant. There are no mistakes. It's only something you cannot yet understand. You, you can't I mean, understand so yet. So we had, That's life. There are no mistakes in life. When we were kids, we had those black and white composition books that you couldn't tear pages yes. out of. Mm-hmm. So that's what he kept all his research notes on. Right. And they were chronological. So he had rows of those books. And when he, you know, 25 years later, when he did an experiment and he understood something, he went back to where he didn't understand it in order to retrieve his interpretation. Wow. What a brilliant man. So, you know, I mean, he was gifted. He was very gifted. But also, what's the right word? Uh, not just dedicated. Devoted. Meticulous. meticulous. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Meticulous as a, it is research. And a researcher, as a true scientist of trying to figure, figure out life and why people tick and what causes us to make behaviors and changes and not changes right and that's I almost forgot we were doing a podcast and then we weren't just having a conversation there for a second but I had to full circle it that's very funny I really did for a second I was like I'm just talking to Byron oh wait this is actually for a podcast because the thing is so many for me and I think for so many people right now they want to see the change in the world they want to know that there's the change and everybody, you know, this terminology of, oh, be the change that you want to see. And, and I come from the perspective of the same, similar that like the uh, generation we have to change right now isn't this one, it's the next three. The only hope that we have is what, the, what we're doing now is going to change the next three generations of what's going on. Because those that have, we're, we're already a little too hardwired right now, right? And so People ask me all the time, what's my vision? My vision is for everybody to have vision. How many people do you want to affect? 23 billion. There's only 7 billion on the planet, but we got to affect the next three generations of people so that there's a shift in consciousness and awareness and emotions because we're emotional beings having physical experience. And we need to bring enlightenment into that fact so that we can enjoy our lives and let's let a lot of the misery go away. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. What were you going to say? That's okay. I feel much more pessimistic than that. Oh, I know you do. I'm the <laughs> eternal optimist and you are the eternal pessimist. Why you I, I, I wish I were not so cynical. I, I really wish I were not so cynical. My Virgo teacher, this is your Aquarian student. Please enlighten us as to why you're so pessimistic. There's no enlightenment involved. It's like oh, looking out and saying, are we going through this shit again? You know, I mean, it's an endless loop of people submitting to fake leaders yeah. and not depending on the way they feel and the way they think. Uh, I mean... This is this is what I see in the world. I mean, I, you know, from here, I I end up watching television uh, in English, German, French, and Italian. Now, French and Italian 
it's often a mystery to me, except that I understand the attitudes. And it's all the same. I watch British television, American television, Swiss, which is not easy to understand, and regular German, which I understand. But the message in every single news program is the same. It's all the same. And it just depends on uh, cultural implementation. So the news message is, if you want to travel, you have to get vaccinated. I hope I'm not getting you in trouble with- I don't care. Come on, bring it on. You know me. So, you know, our friends recently, uh, the, the young couple that rented our apartment upstairs, they said, oh, you know, we've been, we want to buy a bus like yours. They want to buy a bus and just travel around, you know, just go places. And, and they discovered very quickly they couldn't. So they decided, ah, we'll take the, the ferry from, from, uh, I think they were taking it from someplace in Spain to Morocco. And the day they decided to go, they shut the ferry down. So anyway, they ended up, uh, they said, ah, we're going to try anyway. So this is in the midst of whatever uh, hotspot crisis was going on in January. And uh, you know, the borders were semi-open, semi-closed. So they packed up their bus, got rid of everything in life that they thought they didn't need and went off with their two kids and dog. And um, so they got, they fully expected to uh, be coerced into getting tested, going into France and Spain and uh, getting stopped there. But they said, ah, what the hell, we'll go anyway. There was nobody at the border. There was no border, no border surveillance whatsoever. So they got into France and then they spent some time on the beach in France. And then they went, you know, they had a Mediterranean holiday. Then they went down into Spain, nobody border, nobody stopped them, nobody cared, nobody did anything. And here, um, it's all, we're gonna try to, control you by the what ifs you don't and the fear that if you don't do this well what happens if all of us didn't do it then what are they going to do there there was a cartoon in uh german news last week with a, a bunch of people <clears throat> laying out on the beach and uh, not a big crowd and then uh and and it said ungeimpf not vaccinated and that people were in the water swimming and enjoying themselves. So the next beach over, they had cops surrounding it with everybody laying on top of each other because there was no space and everybody was just vaccinated. <laughs> it's going to be the separation of those vaccinated and not vaccinated, perhaps. <laughs> it was very funny. But sadly, I mean, from my perspective, while we're going in that direction, we're, we will see within the next, I'd say, two, three years, tremendous amounts of neurological illness coming. So it's already beginning to emerge, but it's being discounted. And in fact, I mean, the illogic of the, of the modern world saying, saying to people, oh yeah, there are side effects, but it's worth it for the sake of society. I mean, you know, this is the kind of uh, uh, propagandized mentality that people are being subjected to and then using it as justification for things they say they don't want to do, but they do them anyway. I mean, the amount of clients. Amazing. It is. Ian and I have talked about, you know, clients will come in and be like, well, I didn't want to get the vaccine, but my boss, my mother, my husband, my whoever in my life guilted me into it. So I got it. And we're like, what? And I had a good point the other day. You'll love this. He said, do you remember when, because Byron called me in his category of age earlier. Did y'all see that? He was like, oh, you know, those books we grew up with. What? We're not even in the same age category. 
But I and my husband are at similar ages. And I said, do you remember? He says to me this morning, do you remember when we grew up? I was like, dude, you're 16 years older than me. I don't remember when you grew up. Anyway, he said, you know, we were told and, and warned to not be peer pressured to do drugs like our friends, to, to not do mushrooms and not do uh, marijuana and not do acid and not smoke cigarettes. Don't cave to the peer pressure to do <laughs> drugs. And yet everybody's being caved into this peer pressure of getting vaccinated. Yeah. How is this any different? And why are people allowed to be peer pressured? Going back to the, the group dynamics and the leaders, like what I've seen in this last year and a half is the group dynamic, the concept of group dynamics has changed because of what you mentioned earlier, because of the internet, because of the airwaves. And they're trying to stop the group dynamics being so that the beach is more packed for those unvaccinated versus those vaccinated by their narrative and across the world, it doesn't matter what you really your religious sector is, what country you're in, what your political sanction is, it's all the same news because it takes you away from what Byron and I are saying, from you, from your knowing, from your critical thinking, from logic, from reasoning, from rational, logic thinking to go, huh, does my immune system come in a mask and a shot or does my immune system come from the way I live my life, the food I eat, the things I do, the way I live? And that whole body is the immune system of survival. It's an organism. It's not. Could, I could not have said it better. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot to me in many ways because it, it's, COVID hit, Byron, and I got, I knew that we were living amongst people that didn't understand how their bodies work. I knew it. Two weeks into COVID, I was like, okay, Heidi's right. I need to start a podcast. Okay, we, we need to get the information out there. People aren't getting how their body works. A year into my podcast, I'm like, why are people changing? Why, why aren't they understanding now that they understand how their body works? Why are they getting vaccinated? Why are they wearing masks while being vaccinated? Why are, what is going on? You know, Lenin uh, in the early part of the 20th century, Nikolai Lenin. Oh, Nikolai Lenin. Okay. Said, was famous for saying, if you, if you repeat a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. That's who originated that statement. And now think about who repeats the lie often enough. Think about all the figures who repeat the lie often enough. It's, an, it's astonishing, it's breathtaking. And it doesn't matter whether it's, if it's on the left or the right from political perspective, they're all the same. They're all the same. Because it takes them, I, it, you know, I'm a freedom, I'm a flexologist, freedomologist. That's my new terminology. You'd be so, you'd be so proud of me. I'm no longer I'm a libertarian. <laughs> I am no longer orthorexic. I'm a flexologist when it comes to food. And I've, I realized in this last year and a half, I'm just a freedom fighter. I just want people to have freedom of choice, freedom of their own, freedom of themselves, free, be free, <laughs> just have freedom. Because I realize that's what biological medicine has given me in so many ways is freedom. So I, I will say, I agree with you. And I'll even say it this way, that the deepest inner desire of all humans is freedom. That's the deepest desire. And it's what social systems want to control. So the human instinct is for freedom. Yes. Society is to break freedom to control people. And, and think about, think about Adam and Eve, and what's that really about? What was that about? It was about self-consciousness, right? And you could even say it as the price of self-awareness, the tree of knowledge, the 
tree of self-awareness. And from that, everything else follows philosophically or metaphorically. Right. Yeah? Absolutely. So, and look at social structures as we experience them now. They're really about suppressing your freedom of choice. How many people do you know in the States? I mean, I have friends in the States who are in lots of troubles because of their perspectives on health choices. Well, you know. Are you going, you are acquainted with those? Yes, of course I am. And, and my good friend that heads me by the United States because of freedom of knowledge that could be imparted. Yes, I'm just gonna say yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very familiar with that cons with that uh, setup. And but but people, I mean, that's what people want. Yeah, they they want to be free. Yeah, more than anything, that's what we all want is we want freedom. Yet I would agree that it's there's a superficial talk of we have freedom, as you mentioned earlier on in the podcast, like there's talk about freedoms, but what does that really mean? I mean, I, I, my brother and I've been into it. I cannot, I have one brother that's 100% on my page and the other brother that's completely on the opposite side of my page. Right. And I'm shocked that either one of them's on my page, but the one that is <laughs> the conversation that we've had about is he's adamantly opposed to getting the vaccine, mostly because people are telling him to do it. So he repels anything that anybody tells him to do, <laughs> but he will still wear the mask, even though he's adamantly opposed to it when it's convenient and he doesn't want to like be given a hard time. I had this conversation with a colleague of mine and I'm like, yeah, but you can't have it both ways. I get that it's inconvenient. Do you know how many stores I've been kicked out of? But what I keep saying is, listen, if you're not willing to take my money, that's perfectly fine. I just need you to know that I'm not willing to wear a mask because I'm not willing to fall into the facade that that has anything to do with anything other than control. So I can, I'm choosing to vote with my dollars. If you choose not to take them because you want me to wear a mask, that's perfectly fine but i'm going to voice that opinion and i know it's uncomfortable and i know that i have a confidence that most people don't have mostly because of what i've been taught because of what i've read because of what i know in my heart because i've been taught how to critically think as well natasha is exactly the same way <laughs> shocking that natasha and i would be <laughs> natasha's his wife my swiss sister over there who outside of He's exactly no i don't you know I mean, we're not going to fly anywhere i'm not getting a test i'm not wearing a yeah. mask i don't care about that we go by bus we stay around here for right now if you have to get it you know if you could do a home test i would do a test because it's just saliva but here they want to stick a thing up your nose it hurts i'm not doing that and it, it's funny isn't it i mean really the 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 saliva test is an antigen test. It's accurate. The no, nose test is PCR. It's mostly false positives. I mean, it's crazy. And then we can end up having a whole discussion about data collection. But well, yeah, and it's all part of the ability to manipulate statistics for the good for the purpose of like we said long ago, the difference between manipulation and motivation is intent yeah and here i you know i was thinking this a, a couple of minutes ago i mean a, a big theme these days is that people do not want to be inconvenienced by any perceived restriction that that's being thrown their way especially in the context of the vaccination business, you know, the, the governments have figured a way to get social control by placing amazing uh, inhibitions, unless you get, I mean, you know, crazy. 
long ago, I don't remember honestly if it was Bill or if it was you or if it was something I read or was something Ayn said. I don't know. I've known this for 25 years that the pain of change. I said it, and it came from the Dalai Lama. It, it was something that I, I communicated to you that I heard from the Dalai Lama. And, and I, I said, oh, I'm using this when I do emotional work. I have the courage to tolerate the pain of change. Yeah, because the pain of change, when, when only the pain of not changing is greater than the pain of changing, then and only then will most people change unless you have consciousness. And I, right, and, and that's really think about what that says. When I can't take it anymore, then and only then will I change. Well, I'll never forget the movie. Um, oh God, of course I forget it right now. <laughs> There's a movie that I watched there. The gentleman was an Irishman in the movie. Um, and he was like, an uh, he was he was the criminal and he was sitting with an undercover cop in bed. And he says to her, um, just to let you know, I'm Irish. So if this relationship doesn't work out, you better make the change because I'll deal with anything as long as I, I'll deal with anything no matter how uncomfortable it was. And I thought to myself, well, there's my Irish heritage coming out. <laughs> And because I, I swear it took me longer than most to feel the pain of change. The pain of not changing was had to be so severely more uncomfortable than the pain of change, which is why my personal journey became more about physical body stuff. And it has to be the physical body for me to get me to change then and only then will I, and it has to be so uncomfortable before I make a shift. That was the old programming. I don't have that anymore. Now the littlest thing, I, I actually don't even need anything. I just go to optimization, but this is such a key for people to understand that when you can have consciousness around this, you don't have to wait for the pain to come. You just change because you're logically looking at it going, hey, I mean, it didn't take long for us to go, huh, I think we're going to open up and we're not going to wear masks regardless of what's going on because the pain of not changing is greater than the pain of changing away from this rhetoric they're trying to sell us. Exactly. And so we just opened up and now we're making all sorts of other changes. Um, and, and I know it's uncomfortable for people as we make changes, but I also know that not changing in this time frame is going to cause more discomfort long-term then, but you got to look long-term. You got to know if I allow myself to wear this mask when I walk in because it's more comfortable, what is that long-term allowing? Well, I understand you. And um, we have to live according to our center. Yeah. And most people don't have that center. Most people don't have a center. They have, they need leaders. They need somebody to tell them what to do. So we have and to listen to different leaders then. We have to have different leaders in charge saying different rhetoric that actually follows their own instead of the myriad of reasons that people make decisions. Reich said, don't follow leaders. Don't follow leaders. So how do we get everybody to start following uh, themselves? Bob Dylan said, don't follow leaders, watch your parking meters. <laughs> uh, so how do we get people to follow themselves? I mean, I do it through Sound of Soul, right? I mean, we haven't even had an opportunity for you to experience that yet, but change, taking heart rate variability, converting back in themselves, letting them feel their own, experience their own vibe, right? How brilliant <laughs> is that? Makes complete sense to me like why that would help people find their knowing. Breath work, taking some yeah. deep breaths, spending time breathing every day with yourself. That's a great way to touch base. But people are focused on being out of touch. Yeah. But my optimistic side is saying, stop it, pessimist. My optimistic side, they can do it. They got this. You can do this. The pain of not changing is greater than the pain of changing. But, you know, I, I mean, you know me in music, so I'm just going to say people prefer to be comfortably numb, to quote Pink Floyd, right? You know, it's, uh, people are comfortably numb, comfortably out of touch, and they want that. They want no waves. They don't want to struggle. They don't want to be inconvenienced. And it's very problematic. I mean, 
people who struggle, people who struggle through life, they are really uh, humans. People are, we, we've traveled to Morocco several times, Americans say to us, really, you went to Morocco? I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's a wonderful place. You know, people are very warm, friendly, you know, peaceful, safe, all that kind of stuff. And there are, there's a, a wealthy class, but most of the people are poor. Most of the people are poor. You go out to the villages, people are poor. They're so sweet. They're really kind. They live in the mountains, goes down to zero, they have no heat. How do they live? We asked. How's that possible? We stayed up there and we were freezing. <laughs> and they're walking around. They're really human, is what you're saying, because they've yeah. really lived through yeah. suffering. They've really expanded their comfort zone and became a stronger version of human beings. Yeah. 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 They, they have not lost their kindness. interesting thing it is so i humanity is at a really optimism i hope for optimism i hope for optimism that is the greatest sentence i've ever heard you say you hope for optimism i i do natasha is very optimistic and then she gets over optimistic i say hey listen you know this is the same stuff i've been listening to for most of my life it's no, there's nothing different nothing is nothing looks better right now she said oh, you know don't give up <laughs> but natasha and i have to talk every once in a while make sure each other's on the same page you know, I, I listen i what you said there was no revolutionary changes in the last two thousand years because essentially people have been the same because the masses are you know working for the rulers, which for those listening, like he loves music, like I love the Matrix movie, right? It's the same concept that the few support, or the masses support the few rather, and that we've all got to wake up to realize. And what Natasha and I are so optimistic about is now is a different time with different consciousness that we've evolved to the point of consciousness. And ideally we get to break through this veil that Wilhelm Reich and Byron Braid today have accentuated so brilliantly. I will insist it's a personal effort. Yes. It's not, for me, I don't see it as a cultural manifestation. I see that as a personal event. I, I don't think I, I totally agree. It's individualized, that it's got to stop being about the group, that it's got to be about the individual, correct? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that. I'm also saying that probably the majority of uh, the majority of people have zero interest in it. Oh, yeah, I agree. Zero interest. Because they haven't, they're not uncomfortable in their lives. Right. Yeah, because they're comfortable. They're content. No, I agree. So, but, and, and I would also say though that things, well, maybe there's not, this might be where we disagree, is that life hasn't changed too much. Whereas I'm like, ah, I think life has changed quite drastically. That, that the only way that life changes is when you have a few pioneers setting the, the tone, if you will. And those goes back, goes back to the leaders, which is what you're saying that, you know, don't follow a leader. But if we have, and if we have better leaders, perhaps, that'll make the masses change to be in that individual mode, even though they did it through the masses. Well, I don't disagree with you. I, I mean, I think that the facade of culture has changed tremendously, but the inner aspect of culture has not. And if you think about leaders in, in the context of history, there have not been that many real leaders who were capable of influencing 
the kind of change that we're trying to talk about now. I mean, you know, a half a dozen to 10, maybe, right? You know, we have to go through the recorded history to go to Abraham, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, and uh, that we're running out of room now. You know, we have our major leaders. They really, they brought enlightenment to, to mankind. And what's man done with that, but misuse it? You know, it's, it's been misused. And we've all misused it. And, you know, we're all, we're working to get out of that. <laughs> and not. <laughs> Individually, of course, we're working on getting out of that so that we get, yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, I know this is one everybody's going to be listening to a couple times because you can see why there have been many conversations for hours and hours without end with Byron, I, and myself, Natasha, and so many of our other colleagues. And I, I know that today probably raised more questions than it answered. That's okay. That's the point. The point is for critical thinking. The point is to wake up. The point is to start investigating why society is the way it is. And if you're unhappy, that's okay. That's not a bad thing. You're unsettled. And that's what we're talking about is be a little unsettled. At the other side of it, there's pure joy. Like at this point, the guy I never seen without a smile on his face. I'm rarely without a smile on my face because I live this way. I live knowing what I know and so blessed to know what I know. So um, humbled to know what I know that we are all connecting. We're all part of it. And that's truly from my heart, from Byron's heart to yours. That's what we want people to understand. I'm going to ask, I don't know how long this is going to last, but I got one more question for you. And he does have a client about 10 minutes. So I always ask. This not is always. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I don't always ask. What deodorant do you wear? <laughs> yes. What kind of underwear do you wear? Actually, I think you have <laughs> If you were to share a secret with the world and have the opportunity for everybody to hear it, and you had the microphone, and after it, you had no consequences to that secret, (laughs) what would be the secret you want the whole world to know? Oh my God. (laughs) I was. I was schooled a lot by a psychiatrist, you have to understand. So I think of deep yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about being an outcast. <laughs> that's a great one. I, you know, and I think he actually gave it more thought than anybody. And that's a, we thank you so much for that. Don't worry about being the crab that crawled out of the bucket. <laughs> and being by yourself because you're not by yourself there's a whole tribe not at all we discovered that here yeah it's really interesting i mean switzerland is a very uh i would say conservative country and and location small like geographically tiny like it's the size of rhode island it's small oh no it's not as small as rhode island it's small. about it's maybe the size of uh south carolina okay Oh, perfect, perfect scenario. You know, uh, I mean, change takes place slowly here, but it's consensual. And people ask me, so what what is it like? I said, you know, in America, you can get away with a lot of stuff because the rules are very often not well-defined. And unless it's egregious, who cares? In Switzerland, you are responsible. Nobody cares about anything unless you are not responsible. So they have rules that on the surface sound completely silly. For example, you're not allowed to make noise between 12 and one and six and seven. 
I remember this rule. I remember being there. Wow, this country's interesting. Every day, can't make, can't mow your lawn. And if you're in an apartment, you can't play loud music after ten. The whole country. Whole country. Yeah. So it is. So, you know, people have no trouble knocking on your door and say, "It's after ten. Can you please turn your TV down or your stereo down?" And one of the reasons we ended up in a single home was that nobody can say anything. <laughs> I really liked really loud music. <laughs> that I said to my neighbor uh, two summers ago, I said, Your, does my music volume bother you? And he said, depends on the music. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I like it. <laughs> right. So, you know, that's the difference. As long as you're minding your own life and not stepping on somebody else's toes, you're, toler you're tolerated. It's great that way. So you can be your own individual. Just you can be your don't individual. let your individuality tread on others. <clears throat> this, uh, I'll finish by telling you a school story. So at our, in a typical school meeting, what do the teachers do? They tell you how your child is performing in school and what, what are the deficiencies and what, you know, that kind of stuff. The school where she is now, uh, they, we had our first teacher meeting, I don't know, last July or something like that. Not a single word was spoken about the academic thing. It was totally about, went like this. Oh, Lena, she integrated herself totally into the school population within 48 hours. She was the center of attention and was the uh, immediate leader of the primary school, not through her doing, but because all the other kids wanted to play with her. And uh, so now she's learning how to separate herself from that. And, um, you know, She's not so interested in being the leader, not so interested in being everybody's darling. And, you know, it's interesting. She has a very dark sense of humor. And, and uh, Natasha looks at me and says, I wonder where she got that from. And, and they said, and the teacher said, oh, that comes from you. Huh? It's not Swiss. And <laughs> so then, then uh, they, they said, and, She's not afraid. Now, you know, Alina, she, they said, we were shocked. She's not afraid to dish it out and give it back. When the boys start to bother her, she goes right after them and she does not play softly. <laughs> Good. Right. We were so proud of her. It yeah. was wonderful. Yeah. So she's allowed to be herself. Yeah. It's great. What she does these days, every now and then, she calls up the local veterinarian and says, can I spend a day working at your place and observing? I'm thinking about if I want to become a veterinarian. So I would like to see a surgery, an operation. And she does that every now and then. She's become a vegetarian, but one of our best friends, I'm giving you the dichotomies of who she is. She, one of our best friends uh, raises organic uh, Black Angus cattle. And uh, he, they are who we buy our meat from. Now I'm the only person in the house that eats meat. But Alina will call them up and say, uh, it's time for me to spend the day at the farm. She gets up and gets there about seven in the morning and she works with the animals all day long. And I said to her, after she did this a couple of times, I said, you're a vegetarian, what's that about? She said, they need love too. That's awesome. Explains everything. Yeah, exactly. So. Follow your heart. Follow don't, your don't be afraid when others. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. Well, thank you so very much, Dr. Brady. Thank you so much, Byron. Thank you.
thank you all for listening. Make sure to subscribe, hit the notification so you know when we're going to be here next. And if you are interested in reaching out to Dr. Braid, what we request is that you reach out to me first. And then I will screen through those in all honesty, as I always have, to make sure that the people that are really interested in working with him, he does work with people via telemedicine at times. Some people travel to Switzerland to see him, um, but we want to make sure that those are people that are really serious about taking their health to the next level um, because he only does work with um, certain types of clients at this point in his career. And so you can reach out to me and then I'll forward whatever appropriate emails are to him. And, but you are welcome to share any comments. I will forward them to him um, about any comments that you have about today's episode. And thank you all so much for sharing your time today with Beats. And we will see you next time for more information about how people change and how your body really works. Thanks, Kelly. Great to see you. Good to see you too, Byron, as always. Yeah, take care. Thank you.